Hello, welcome, bonjour. In advance, I would like to thank you for listening to my podcast. My name is Kelsey, and today I'm going to be talking about creating a culturally sensitive classroom. More specifically, I'm going to discuss my experience working on an inquiry project that questions if students are in a culturally responsive classroom, are they more engaged in learning? To begin, before I get into details, data, research, it is important to understand the lens in which I interpreted my data through. I interpreted my data through my personal and professional lens. By that, I mean my experience as a mixed-race woman who lives, has been educated in, and has student-taught in the city of Winnipeg. Being a minority was really significant while looking at my research. The vast majority of the research I found looked at what white teachers could do to help create a culturally responsive classroom and did not include information on how to do so as a Black person or more specifically as a Black female teacher. By not including this, it really showed some of the missing pieces of culturally responsive learning and teaching, which I will be discussing later. Next, it is important to figure out where this inquiry started. This inquiry started by coming up with a question. And to come up with that question, I had to look at what is important in education? What matters in education to me? What am I passionate about? And I realized what I'm passionate about is representation and representation going beyond what is initially thought in representation. So our students in Manitoba are getting more diverse. If we look at census data and we compare the last three censuses that have occurred, we know that Manitoba students are more diverse. And we can see that simply because of where students have immigrated from. So if we look at the immigration numbers and where these people are immigrating from, and then we can break that down by age, we can see that between the ages of 5 and 18, we have more immigrants in Manitoba than we used to. And we have more immigrants from non-European-based countries, which is making our education system in Manitoba more diverse. And the more diversity in the education system means that we need to be more diverse in our classrooms. We need our students to be represented in that diversity. And that, as teachers, is our job. So to do this, I believe in going beyond surface representation. Surface representation is having those little things that make students feel represented in the classroom. Maybe we're celebrating different cultural holidays, or we're looking at having hello or welcome in different languages in a wall on the classroom, or saying that to our students. That is surface representation. We need more. Our students deserve more. I look further into representation then, and I see students being reflected in the classroom. I can see that currently more in the classes I attend online right now. We have more teachers who are not white female teachers, especially for their early middle years. And we that is representing the diversity there. Uh, but if we look in the classrooms right now, in my practicum experience, I have not experienced a teacher that is not white. Every time I have gone into a practicum placement, I have been the only not white teacher there. So students are still not being fully represented by their teachers either. How about the literature students encounter? Who's the authors of the books students read? How about the books given to them? If we look at what's displayed in classroom libraries, are students being represented there? In my experience, a lot of the books in classroom libraries are written by white authors or feature white characters. Very little, especially in the middle years. The books and the literature are not about characters of color or are written by people of color. These books often end up in a special area with a designation saying these authors are Black authors and those books come out in February for Black History Month. That is not okay. Or we have a section for Indigenous authors and those ones come out periodically throughout the year, especially when the school is focusing on uh, Indigenous culture and trying to Indigenize the classroom. If we truly want to Indigenize the classroom, we need to be doing it all year. And that is important as well. To further represent our students in the classroom, they need to be represented in every aspect of the school. And every student needs to feel the same way, that they are represented enough in the same way. And that is hard. And I'm not sure if that'll happen anytime soon.
But do I believe that it's fully possible? Yes. And the best way forward to do this, I found through my research and looking into my inquiry, is through culturally responsive teaching. We need to think beyond systemic racism. We need to think about how we can teach within a system that is systematically racist. We attend school and teach in schools which support systemic racism. The schools are a part of that systemic racism. This racism is not what a teacher does. Most teachers are not racists. The system is. Throughout my research, I noticed that in Canada, as well as the United States, we have Western-based education systems. These education systems are based off of those in Europe. And these education systems are racist. This is a system that not many students can be successful in. It is a system that wants those who think the way those in Europe do, those who think the way quote-unquote Canadians do or Americans do, are the ones who are successful. It is a system that does not want those who are different to succeed. This system was created with those, with students in mind that are European-based, that have this experience, that believe that pen and paper learning is best, that can write a test, that can write a paper. This is who the education system was created for. And many students are not made to succeed in this system. They were not created with it in mind. And in fact, we, in history, did not want them to succeed in this system. The system is racist in the fact that it only recently began discussing racism that the Canadian government has participated in or created. In my experience in the education system, I did not learn about residential schools till grade 11, and they were very briefly discussed then. They were not taught. We were not taught about any of the horrors that the Canadian government did. This is information that I learned through my own research and in university. It was not prioritized because the Canadian government didn't want to hear about them being racist. But in order to move forward in a racist education system, we do need to educate our students about the horrors, about the racist acts that the government has done and continues to do at times. This is a huge part of culturally responsive teaching. Culturally responsive teaching is a strategy and it is a strategy that is used to relate teaching content to students' cultural backgrounds, which is discussed in a framework for culturally responsive teaching. It is a holistic approach, and it uses motivation that is connected to culture. So you want to establish inclusion, develop attitude, enhance meeting, so that students are connected to what they are learning, which is discussed as previously mentioned in a framework for culturally responsive teaching. Teachers as well need to look at their own bias, and they need to educate themselves, because the majority of teachers were not educated on the systemic racism that occurs in Canada, that has occurred, the history of it, and that why the education system itself is racist. Teachers are teaching, and they need to be teaching what makes them uncomfortable. And unfortunately, being a part of a system that is systematically racist is uncomfortable. Teachers don't want to think about that. But we must for our teachers to be able to succeed to the amount we want them to be able to. Teachers need to go beyond celebrating cultural holidays or traditions and incorporate various cultures throughout the year. Teachers need to be indigenizing education. And teachers are even decolonizing education, which is amazing. I can honestly say that I've started to notice change, both in the education system and in just teachers in general. If I look at what the education system looked like 20 years ago when I first entered it, it is very different than what it looks like now as I am exiting my part as a, a student in the system and entering my time as a teacher in the system. I notice less racism. I notice more inclusive schools, teachers who think and act in a positive way, teachers who go against what is traditionally thought of as things that shouldn't be taught. Teachers are doing more, and they need to be, and we still have further to go. But finding where to teach in this racist system is really hard.
And honestly, I'm not fully sure where my job as a teacher still is within this systemically racist system. I know that I need to do what I can, but I know that I cannot demantle a system on my own. I cannot get rid of systemic racism in the form of the education system on my own. And even with all my friends behind me, all my peers behind me, with colleagues behind me, we can't do it on our own. We need more help. And that is part of it, is that understanding we are not able to fully deconstruct the system, that we need to understand that the system is there, and how do we teach within the system? So what is culturally responsive teaching or culturally responsive learning or creating a culturally responsive classroom? It sounds really amazing, but I think we need to know what it means. A culturally responsive classroom begins with the teacher. It begins really more inside the teacher. It is about being more culturally responsive than just being culturally responsive to race. In fact, it is a journey to responsiveness and it needs a change in mindset and a change in skill set for teachers to do it correctly. And in fact, many schools, divisions, even school systems claim to be culturally responsive. But in reality, they are trying to deal with a race issue. They are not trying to move forward positively. They are trying to deal with something. Culturally responsive classroom is more than just having texts or books that represent students. It is having culturally authentic books. It is celebrating culture every day. It is integrating culture into what you teach and to how you teach it. Culturally responsive classrooms represent the students who are in it. They represent the diverseness of the students in the classroom. And oftentimes, teachers do face challenges setting up a culturally responsive classroom. Or better yet, they're working together to create a culturally responsive set of classrooms or a culturally responsive schools. Because the more people who work together to create the school, the less individual backlash will hurt. One teacher and one angry person saying something about it can be felt a lot more than seven, eight, ten teachers working together to create a culturally responsive classroom and one person saying something negative. Culturally responsive classroom has equitable and culturally res responsive or culturally sensitive instructional practices. Teachers need to think about where their students come from and their backgrounds when teaching. You can't teach everything the same way every year. You need to shape it to the students who are in your class at that moment. You need to differentiate it and differentiate it based not on just their ability level, but also on their culture and how they respond to things and how they act and how they learn best. Culturally responsive classrooms provide students with multiple assessment types. And teachers, yes, this is hard. It makes it more work for you, but it's doing what's best for your students. It's creating an environment that acknowledges, celebrates, and builds upon the cultural capital that learners and teachers bring to the classroom as discussed in celebrating difference, best practices, and culturally responsive teaching. It is a classroom in which students are not passive learners. Um, it is about designing dynamic environments and utilizing classroom practices that allow students to succeed academically as discussed in celebrating differences, best practices, and culturally responsive teaching. Ultimately, culturally responsive teaching uses cultural experiences of the students to teach each individual student best. Culturally responsive teaching should be validating, comprehensive, multidimensional, empowering, transformative, and emancipatory. Students should be at the center of culturally responsive learning and culturally responsive teaching, but to put students at the center of that learning, teachers need to discuss their inherent biases. They need to understand 
where they are coming from and what their background is and how they understand everything around them and how they understand that systemically racist system that we previously discussed so that they can create a space in which students are allowed to use their cultural experience so that they're able to learn best. So that you use the classroom's cultural experiences and the differences that each student has to be able to educate each individual student in the classroom. So the whole class works together with their culture, their background, their understanding of themselves to be able to educate everyone, to be able to educate everyone through learning about everyone. I'm going to talk about some of the data that I had from my experience this year. But first, I think you need some background information. So my data is coming from a grade six class at a middle school in Winnipeg. Most of my students that I teach are white. I do not teach any English as an additional language students this year. And most of these students come from very similar economic backgrounds. Uh, They are very comfortable. And this can be seen by many different things in their uh, ways they share. Uh, Not only just clothing they choose to wear, but also hobbies and sports they participate in, as well as uh, places they have visited, even while we are in the middle of a pandemic, as well as the sheer number of them that have cabins. So... Understanding that, I think we should also understanding what subject areas the data I'm talking about is coming from. The data I'm talking about comes from a combination of a social studies and ELA class with those grade six students. I integrated this and then I integrated the subject areas when teaching. The students learned this material in September and October of 2020, but I did do comparisons, uh, which are part of my data, to me teaching them this in an integrated way, in a culturally responsive way, in topics that were more interesting to them, to what was not taught by me, and what was then occurring at different times in what from conversations with students was not topics that were engaging to them, regardless of what the curriculum said they still did need to be taught it. So the first piece of data I want to talk about is an aha moment I had when a student asked, why do we not learn about historical Indigenous leaders the way we learn about white men throughout history? So this led me to think about why are Indigenous leaders not taught about in school very often? And I responded to my student uh, by having a discussion about how history is generally taught from the side of the winner. And if we look at who won the Canadian colonial history, we can tell with 100% certainty it's not the Indigenous people. They are not the winners. The uh, white European men were really the winners of that battle or war, really, that was fought for that period of time. While it was not what is typically seen as a battle or war, I think it is the most accurate way of being able to represent the idea to students, and I explain that to them as well. So I told my students, though, that I, as a teacher, do not just teach history from the side of those who want it. I teach history from many sides. And in fact, I prefer not to teach history from a side at all, but rather I prefer to look back at history and to see it with our modern lens, which can distort it, but we have to then understand how our lens can distort it. So I told my students that they need to know about a variety of Canadian leaders And especially we need to know about a variety of leaders from different races. Um, This idea goes beyond Indigenous leaders um, and to leaders of different races and different cultures in Canada. And really it goes beyond that in total. This idea 
stems beyond just Indigenous leaders, which is where that student made the connection, but to all aspects of history and society as a whole. Students need to learn about Indigenous soldiers during the World War and Canadian inventions made by people of colour and all the wonderful contributions that people of colour who are Canadians have made to Canada's history, society, and to the world in general. Students need to have that moment and to learn from that. And that was one of my proudest moments this year is when a student felt comfortable enough in the classroom to ask why they had not learned this and to understand that it probably wasn't right that they hadn't learned it and that they were not comfortable not knowing the answer to that question. That showed that the culturally responsive classroom that I was working to create really had started, that I was making progress in this classroom and that my students were comfortable enough and connected enough to what they were learning to be able to question what, why what they are learning now is more meaningful and different than what they learned in the past and why what they learned in the past didn't include this. I do find it interesting that the student did say white men throughout history, uh, which was something I did not discuss at the time. But looking back on it, I would have asked uh, leading questions. Well, leading is the wrong word. I would have asked probing questions about why the word man was used, why the word men were used instead of white people throughout history. Because looking through history, we can see that it wasn't just white men who were uh, taught about more throughout history and who were some of the winners. We know that white women were as well. And that is something I had learned from this experience and that I will have discussion for as well later with students and something that I grew from because I firmly believe that a culturally responsive classroom is a learning experience for both the students and the teacher. One of my pieces of data connects to an idea from celebrating difference, best practices, and culturally responsive teaching. So culturally responsive teaching uses cultural experiences of students to teach them best. I have a student this year who is Indigenous. She shared a question in class that made me think about the different experiences of my students and the different cultural experiences of my students and how we can use this as teaching moments. So I did this. I used it as a teaching moment. I had a student ask me, why do we still learn about all the good things that the Canadian government has done and none of the bad things that the government has done? And then she gave examples of the government taking children, specifically Indigenous children, from their parents and how this happens way more often to Indigenous students than it does to um, non-Indigenous students. So this was a question that connects to her culture, cultural experience. This student was Indigenous and has an Indigenous cultural, cultural experience, which includes the care system, the foster care system. And that is a negative cultural experience. But fortunately, um, through knowing about her life, I am able to know that she still has cultural relations in her life and she still has connections to her culture, her Indigenous culture. And she values that very strongly. So through this question that this student asked about the learning about all the good and not learning about the bad that the government has done led to a class discussion. I asked my students if I only talked about the good things the government has done, or do I talk about the bad things that the government has done? Many students provided tons of examples of things that we learned about in school together. They learned about things such as residential schools, the separation of Indigenous children from their families uh, in the 60s group, the mistreatment of Chinese people during the building of the Canadian Pacific Railway. They learned about Africville, which is near Halifax. They learned about treaties in general and about how women were not treated equally throughout Canadian history. So I then asked my students, based off of those examples, I think I talk about 
some of the bad the Canadian government has done or has participated in or has supported. Do you agree? And students came to the consensus that they do agree that I teach about the bad the government has done. I don't just teach about the good. This class discussion was rich. It was important. It happened because a student used their cultural experience to teach the class. This discussion would not have occurred if that student hadn't asked the question. But I got thinking about this further and about this question further. I was thinking about how do we have a time in the classroom to teach about both the good and the bad? Where is that line to draw? When do you stop teaching about the bad? And I think it's important that students know about the bad that the government has done. I will not hide those parts of history and I will not not teach them. But I do have a problem with that feeling of negativity. And if I'm teaching negative event after negative event after negative event that the Canadian government has done, historically or contemporarily, and how these events are racist towards people of color, to Indigenous people, or how they are sexist towards women, or how these events don't like people from certain cultures. It's really harsh. It's really hard. And it's really negative. It does not leave you feeling good walking out of that classroom. It does not leave me feeling good walking out of the classroom. I feel good that I taught my students about it and that they learned about something that's really important. But I don't feel good about the fact that I now have the experience and the time and the mental weighing of having learned this. I know that I cannot teach about a racist or a culturally inappropriate or a sexist event or moments in history every day. I can't do that as a person. That would break me. But I do think it's important to find a balance. I think we need to find a balance between being honest about Canadian history and the negative events in Canadian history and celebrating the cultural diversity and cultural accomplishments and accomplishments of those from different races and from different genders and from different communities in Canada and these contributions that they have given to Canada. Because if we don't celebrate the good, we're not going to learn about it. If we don't teach about that, we're not going to learn about it. Students aren't going to learn about many of the amazing things that women and people of color and Indigenous people have contributed to Canada if we don't teach about them. And I think those are just as important to teach about as the negative events, as the negative historical events. And by teaching about both, you really are creating a culturally responsive classroom because nowhere does it say a culturally responsive classroom has to be a negative classroom. Nowhere does it say that a culturally responsive classroom only focuses on bad things, that it only focuses on history. That is not said. Culturally responsive classroom is about putting students' cultural experience at the center of the classroom and using it to teach other students, using it to validate, to, to be comprehensive, to be multidimensional, to be empowering, and to be transformative. What's more empowering than knowing that a woman is able to create something that has shaped Canada to a young girl? What's more empowering than noticing and knowing that people of different ethnic groups have been able to accomplish something? What's more validating than knowing that someone from your own culture was able to do something? What is more empowering and validating that knowing students can do the same thing? Nothing. Nothing is more empowering than students realizing that they are able to do anything they set their mind to and that their culture, their race, their gender is not going to hinder them. Through my data and my research, I've come to the conclusion that when creating a culturally responsive classroom, books are very important. Specifically, the selection of books is very important. And through that, the use of picture books in the classroom is very important. So one of my 
books I found in my research is called Culturally and Linguistically Responsive Teaching and Learning, which um, is the second edition of that book. Specifically, I focused on using the fifth chapter of that book, which is called, Is My Academic Literacy Instruction Culturally Responsive? This chapter looks at having books in the classroom that represents the students in that classroom. So you need to go beyond surface level representation with that, which means you have to have books that are actually culturally authentic. So culturally authentic books are the highest category of books that are culturally responsive. After culturally authentic comes culturally generic, then culturally neutral, um, and then non-culturally appropriate books. So these books uh, wanna go beyond superficial images of cultural diversity. So when you are using a book that is culturally authentic, it goes beyond just mentioning culture or having a person of color in the book or having the character be a person of color uh, to actually incorporating the culture and integrating the culture throughout the whole book. Um, specifically in my classroom practice and classroom practice I've experienced through my cooperating teacher, I have seen picture books be used in the classroom and specifically using uh, picture books that are at bare minimum culturally generic, but preferably culturally authentic to introduce topics that can be hard to discuss. Some topics are really hard to discuss um, especially if you just start right away. And picture books, especially in the middle years classroom, can be a really great starting point for these. You can use it in a read aloud, or you can just show a picture from the book and use it as a see, think, wonder, feel. So a see, think, wonder, feel is when you show students an image um, and get them to first just observe it. So what do they see? And these have to be facts. They can't be making any guesses or wondering what something means by it, it would be, I see a girl wearing a red shirt in the picture. I see cars in the picture. I see brick roads in the picture. I see a man wearing green clothing standing in the middle of the street. It is very much exactly what they see. The think part of this is what do students think based off of what they see? So I think the man in wearing green in the middle of the street is someone who is in the military as he has a gun and is um, stopping at people at a checkpoint. I think because the streets are made out of brick that this is not taking place in Canada as we do not have brick streets. The wonder part is the one that you get students to wonder. It's the questioning. I wonder when this photo was taken based off of the age of the cars. I wonder why there's only girls in this picture and no boys. I wonder why all the girls are wearing dresses. I wonder why all the people have blonde hair. These are things and questions that students can have based off of what they're observing. And the feel part is getting students to discuss how the picture makes them feel. So I feel weird thinking about the fact that girls are in the picture have to wear dresses. I feel weird that someone is checking people's IDs at the checkpoint. You're getting students to acknowledge what they feel in the picture and that sometimes these feelings are what will lead to your discussions further on. So the wonder and feels are what, through my experience, I have noticed be the part that can help guide a discussion. So having put a see, think, wonder, feel of one of Canada's, uh, using an image of one of Canada's residential schools and getting students to do this, I then was able to get questions about what kind of building is this? Why does it look very structured? It kind of reminds me of a prison. So getting those questions, it feels very cold. It does not feel welcoming. Getting those 
discussion points through helps to dis facilitate a discussion on residential schools in the classroom. Another reason that I like to use picture books and images, specifically the images from picture books in the classroom, is that I believe it equals the playing field and allows the vast majority of students to be able to enter discussions at the same point, regardless of prior experience. Students do not feel that they have to be able to write perfectly to be able to do it, the activity, to be able to contribute to the discussion. Students do not have to know perfect English. Students from all different experiences can learn through the use of picture books so getting students then on the same playing field really helps to be able to bring that culture into the classroom because students who don't normally talk in the classroom because of feeling like the playing field's a little too hard for them are now at a lower, the playing field is lowered. Everyone is on equal footing. I like using picture books in the classroom as it enables everyone to share. Through my experience this year, I noticed that my students are engaged when I pull out a picture book because they know and they now associate the picture book meaning something important. They know that they're going to learn something that is meaningful. It is not just to learn something boring or something they don't care about. It really is a connection and it allows students to be able to be connected to what they are learning, which is important. So how does what I learn through this inquiry connect to student motivation? How does using books and teaching in a classroom where students are safe and encouraged to ask questions, where in a classroom where students are represented, where the literature represents them, where you're not afraid to answer difficult questions or to ask difficult questions, where you don't shy away from topics, and where you use students' culture at the center of what you are doing to promote more learning in the classroom affects student engagement. Well, I can tell you through my experience this year, I have noticed that my students are engaged in their learning. So from September to February of this school year, uh, noticing both my teaching as well as my cooperating teachers teaching of the same group of students, I noticed many things. I'm not even sure if I could call them changes. In September, students were really engaged. Part of this was that they were just excited to be back in school. They were so focused on the excitement of being in a school building again that they didn't care what they were doing. There is a lot of assessment to be done then because we need to see where students were at. And I just didn't ask, when are we going to start to learn the real stuff? I'm tired of all this assessment, which I was too. But it's important to know where our students are at. And that was important. Then comes October. This is when I personally hit my stride of when students were going to be learning new materials and what they were going to be learning. This month had many wonderful whole class discussions about racism in the government, both historically, historical and president, present, um, and about how sometimes people who are most impacted by a decision do not get a say in the decision-making process. Students were engaged, and they loved having whole class conversations about topics. They enjoyed their voices being heard. Even students who did not like to talk in class or generally weren't huge talkers in class or huge people who participated in the discussions seem to enjoy it. So, and by seem to enjoy it, I mean they participated and they did not moan and groan about participation. By November, my students presented their podcasts. What podcasts you're going to ask? They created podcasts about how Canada became a country, some of the people involved in how Canada became a country, um, the role of Indigenous people and Métis people at the time Canada became a country, and specifically on how Manitoba became a province and joined Canada, and the role of the Métis people in that. 
students loved the project-based learning, the inquiry-based learning while doing their project, uh, their podcast, and they loved being able to learn about different things. I had many wonderful podcasts that happened, um, but I really enjoyed one in particular that was about the Indigenous people in Canada in the 1860s and 70s and 80s and how it was discussed that they were not any less how just because what they were doing was different did not make it make it or make them less in fact oftentimes it made them more as they were doing things that if we looked at it today were more environmentally conscious and were more equal to people of different gender students were very proud when they completed their podcasts and I was proud of them too. I loved listening to them and I loved reading them and I could hear my students in their podcasts and through what they had learned and I could hear the pride and the interest in what they had done and that was what made me realize that doing something that seemed really hard at the beginning was definitely worth it. I made this connection in November and students seem to be enjoying that. In December, students were uh, kind of grumbling about what they were learning in social studies. They weren't too interested in the different levels of government and the responsibilities that belong to each level of government. The students wanted to have conversations about what was going on in the governments. So I had a couple of students ask me questions about what was going on in the news. They were really interested in what the government was doing uh, and not so interested on the structure that made the government. But unfortunately, they do need to learn that as well. Um, students uh, seemed interested in learning about the racism that the Chinese men faced while building the Canadian Pacific Railway. Um, they learned about this in January. They enjoyed that. As well, students um, learned about the Winnipeg General Strike through a class read aloud um, on the book City on Strike. Students seemed to be more engaged in this book. They really liked it. Um, and they liked learning about a historical event through a book and through a character that was closer in age to them. So that was important for me to know too, is that teaching historical events through younger people's eyes can be very beneficial to my students. And then in February, my students were learning about the gold rushes. Um, Canada had three main gold rushes and my students seemed kind of done with them by the time they got to learning about the third. So there was a lot of information and they were just heavy and they were done with it. Um, in ELA, students started their Holocaust literature circles and students were loving their books. They were always asking for more time to read their books. Um, I listened to students' discussions while they were in their literature circles and they were engaged with them. Um, and students loved creating a multi-layer timeline of the Holocaust. They were super engaged and when asked in March, actually, if they were ready for it to be taken down, they said no. They wanted it up because they enjoyed being able to make connections to it. So that showed me again that through books that students were able to make connections as well. So it showed me the value again of connecting back to those novels and connecting to the books that were discussed earlier and the importance of different literature in the classroom. So that is what I got from students being engaged in their data. I can honestly say that the students were engaged. They were engaged in what they were learning. They were more engaged when it was books that connected to culture. So whether that be the Jewish culture when they were doing their literature circle books or learning about um, a young boy and girl during the Winnipeg general strike in City on Strike, they were very engaged with that. They were engaged in their podcasts that were focusing on the different people during Confederation and less focusing on the founding fathers aspect of Confederation. And students were not as engaged when things seemed to take a really long time or were very 
detail-specific focus. So that was something that I found really important is that students like learning about all these historical events, but they don't want to be too pigeonholed on what they want to learn. And that students seem to enjoy the project-based learning. So that is something that I will keep doing in my teaching practice as it motivates the students. So culturally responsive education that puts the student first, uses the student's culture as a teaching tool, and then using project-based learning within that is essentially where I want to end up as a teacher. What did I get from doing this inquiry? What did I get from learning about culturally responsive classrooms? The thing that is most important to me now is teachers and students both need to feel uncomfortable in the classroom to grow and learn. So one of the things I believe in very strongly as an educator is that both the students and the teacher need to feel uncomfortable at times in the classroom for true, true growth and learning to occur. So after looking back at my data, my research, and my experience teaching, I noticed that the best learning in the classroom happened when either I as the teacher, my students, or ideally all of us were uncomfortable. I was nervous this year teaching this way. I was nervous being myself as a teacher because I know that I've been called by some as radical. And that is nerve wracking, but a good thing to me. I think that is good now. I remember being very nervous the first time I called the Canadian government racist in front of my students. I was shaking on the inside, but I knew that it needed to be done. And that by hearing the word racist in relation to the government of Canada would really put into perspective what students were learning. For context, we were talking about the creation of residential schools and the government systematically putting Indigenous people in residential schools on the sole purpose of them being Indigenous, trying to get rid of the Indigenous culture in the student, which is a racist action. So through this all, at the end of one of my lessons, I asked my students to raise their hands if what they were learning made them uncomfortable. They were learning about how Indigenous people were treated at different times throughout Canadian history. The vast majority of students raised their hands that they were uncomfortable. I then asked my students if they knew I was also uncomfortable with this. They looked at me with wide eyes. They did not know that I was uncomfortable as well. But we all learned something that day, and that was really important. We had really good discussions. Everyone was uncomfortable, and it was good. I have created a classroom culture in which being uncomfortable is good, as that means you are learning. One of the quotes from my research that sticks out to me is, the classroom will always be a forum for changing the world. I firmly believe that to do that, students need to be uncomfortable and teachers need to be uncomfortable. To be in that forum, in that classroom that is changing the world, students need to be uncomfortable. This quote comes from Reclaiming Personalized Learning, a pedagogy for restoring equality, equity, and humanity in our classrooms. We need to be uncomfortable to make the biggest changes in the world. And one of these reasons is that we are preparing students to change the world. We are preparing students by using culturally responsive teaching. We are preparing our students to use their cultural knowledge, their experiences, and their individual learning preferences, as well as my cultural knowledge, my experience, and my individual learning to teach. And by combining those two things together, we are creating a classroom culture in which learning, while uncomfortable, is important. This idea of teachers and students both using their cultural knowledge, their experience, and their individual learning preferences comes from pre-service teachers, culturally responsive teaching, self-efficacy, and outcome expectancy beliefs. While I firmly believe in that, I want to finish this podcast up with something that is important to me. And that is, is that what my hill I will die, that I will die upon. So every great teacher 
has a teaching hill that they will die upon. I firmly believe that. So when I think about what mine is, I realize that mine is connected to representation. I discussed that in the beginning, but my hill that I die upon is that my students feel that and know that I will do anything in my power for them to be represented in the classroom. That is having books that have characters that look like them, talk like them, act like them. That is having conversations in which they can feel themselves represented in. That's by having teachers who are willing to connect with them so that they know that they are represented in that way. That is every way I can represent my teachers. I will fight for my students to see, experience, and learn things that make others uncomfortable. And by doing that, I am teaching about equality in all forms. I am not shying away from questions that students ask that I do not know the answer to, I do not like the answer to, or I am comfortable with. I will do my best teaching by being uncomfortable, by having my students be uncomfortable too at times, and by learning. Being uncomfortable is learning. So my hill I will die upon is by fighting for my students to be represented in any way, shape, or form, and by being uncomfortable so that they are able to learn. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I realize that it's long. It turned out to be longer than I thought it was going to be. I just had a lot to share. I learned a lot. And I realized I'm not done. This inquiry project does not have an end product that I wanted. It is not an answer to the question. Yes, my students are more engaged, but I still have more that I could learn. I still have more that I could do, and I still have more that I want to learn and do, which means that this is not done. But I realized that this inquiry project is actually what is going to shape my teaching practice for as long as I am a teacher. I am constantly going to be striving to have a more culturally responsive classroom for my students to be represented more and for my students and myself to be uncomfortable so that we are learning and growing.